Hi, this is Adam Berger. I'm a attraction show writer and the author of the book Every Guest is a Hero, Disney's Theme Parks and the Magic of Mythic Storytelling. And when I really want to feel re-energized, I listen to Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 129 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. If you're new to Stories of the Magic, we are a positive and story-filled Disney podcast offering stories from cast members, Imagineers, artists, actors, and more, including guests, promoting a mutual love of Disney, celebrating and preserving the Disney magic and legacy, and inspiring people to live their dreams just as Walt Disney did. If that appeals to you or piques your curiosity, you're definitely in the right place, and I'm glad you're here. Today we return to our usual format with part one of an interview with former Disney Imagineer Brian Collins. Brian started at the Contemporary Resort at Walt Disney World, working at the front desk, but moved through until he ultimately became part of Walt Disney Imagineering. You'll hear much more about him in the official intro in a couple of minutes. Now before moving on to giving you a preview of the interview, I'd like to take a minute to thank some recent reviewers. I actually got 10 new reviews since I last asked for them a couple of episodes ago. So thank you, Shellick2, Soccer Mouse, Rachel Guy72, Eagle615, GLU Band, WDW underscore 1971, One Little Spark Podcast, Megan.Amarice, Disney Jessica, and Disney Fan for Life for your five-star reviews. Hopefully I pronounced all of your names right. I really do appreciate all of those, and they're extremely helpful. Now, in this episode, Brian talks about how he got started working for Disney and what he did at first. How he worked himself from there to Imagineering. Some cool things he did working for Disney before he got to WDI. How he started to network his way around the company while he was working the front desk at the Contemporary Resort. The first time he remembers thinking, I'm doing something really special. How he actually became an Imagineer. It's not unlike Wesley becoming the Dread Pirate Roberts. What Imagineering's headquarters are like and some of his favorite memories from being there, and how he applied what he learned in school to being an Imagineer, including in some unexpected ways. Now a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and begin this story. everyone are you looking for a fun-filled and family-friendly star wars and disney podcast if you answered yes then join me and my sweetie wife on skywalking through neverland you can hear us every week we are skywalking through neverland wherever podcasts are played we look forward to having you in our skywalker family and now this week's interview on stories of the magic as a Disney cast member, Brian Collins started his career with Disney at the front desk of the Contemporary Resort, but he didn't stay there. 
This was right around the time Disney MGM Studios was about to open, and Brian took advantage of that timing, working in several different roles, which eventually led to becoming an Imagineer. As a show writer with Walt Disney Imagineering in the early 1990s, he helped create the magic for some of the most beloved attractions, some of my favorites throughout Walt Disney World, including show concepts for such attractions as The Great Movie Ride, The Jungle Cruise, and Epcot's World Showcase. After leaving Disney, he continued to earn his stripes in a variety of creative positions within the ranks of corporate America. A passionate educator, Brian has served on the faculty of several colleges and universities where he's developed and taught courses on entrepreneurship, marketing, innovation, and even product development for theme parks. Through it all, he has always maintained a dotted line relationship with Disney and has continued to work for them in a variety of freelance and contract projects over the years. As the founder of WD With Me, Brian comes full circle in his career and is now leveraging his background and experience as a former Imagineer to share his creativity, knowledge, and insight with others. That's what he's here to do today. So, Brian, welcome to Stories of the Magic. Boy, I can't wait to meet that guy. He sounds really cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very glad to be here. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while, Randy. Thank you. So have I, Brian. So, as we just kind of jump right in here, tell me about how you got started working for Disney and what you did there. I kind of gave the thumbnail overview. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, uh, to try and make a long story short, <laughs> I was working in Miami. Uh, my first job when I graduated college, my degree was in advertising and I always thought I was going to be an advertising copywriter, you know, writing, uh, ad copy and jingles and slogans and stuff like that. Um, Writing, excuse me, I'm sorry, writing is something that's just always come just very uh, naturally and easy to me, and and I've always enjoyed it. So um, after I graduated, my first job in Miami was uh, as a writer, but as a script writer um, for a video production company, and I knew nothing about video production, (laughs) but they hired me uh, to write scripts uh, for for their videos. And over time, I learned how to... um, produce and direct, you know, by going in the field and, you know, shadowing other producers and directors. And eventually I was producing the in-flight entertainment program for Eastern Airlines. And uh, so this is kind of aging me a little bit there. Um, (laughs) But but, um, Eastern Airlines, uh, if if you guys remember, they actually had a very strong sponsorship with uh, Walt Disney World. They had for years um, in the Magic Kingdom, they, they sponsored the If You Had Wings Ride right? Um, yeah. Which is now uh, eventually became a Delta um, attraction and then ultimately is now the Buzz Lightyear ride. But anyway, so so Eastern went out of business and uh, for the first time in my very young career, I was out of a job. And, you know, as a kid growing up in Florida, I always wanted to work for Disney and my brother was living up here. So I moved up to Orlando and camped out on his couch and went out and, um, got hired uh, to, to work for Disney. And I thought, you know, they'd be really impressed with my whole one year of uh, video production experience. And they were so impressed uh, with my background that they uh, gave me a, a job right away working at the front desk of the Contemporary Resort. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's kind of how I cut my teeth at, at Disney. Um, but it was a foot in the door. And from there, I just kind of leveraged it. As you said in the intro, it was right around the time when the studios were getting ready to open and there were a lot of other 
amazing projects that were opening up and attractions that were opening and things of that nature. Um, it, it was just a very exciting time in the company and, and for the Florida parts. So uh, soon after um, working at, at the uh, Contemporary, I was able to kind of leverage that and uh, leverage my background and start working first in um, as a production assistant at the studios and then doing some work for Cast Communications, which is the part of the company that produces the company newspaper Eyes and Ears. And um, eventually all of that networking led me to um, very... <laughs> Thankfully, uh, a job as an Imagineer. Um, it was it was really just you know a lot of luck, a lot of being in the right place at the right time, having the right skills they needed, and um, you know just maybe some divine intervention in post. But um, it was it was a pretty amazing journey. Wow. Okay. So obviously, when you were first getting the idea of working for Disney, your your plan was not necessarily front desk at the Contemporary. No, <laughs> <laughs> but I imagine that that was still uh, a fairly interesting experience. Uh, so it was a great experience. You know, I don't regret it. As a matter of fact, looking back, you know, and maybe it's easy to say it because when things worked out, but looking back, I'm I'm actually kind of grateful that that's where it began for me because, you know, that that job really gave me a chance to learn about Disney culture, about Disney service. Um, you know, even as someone working at the front desk and eventually I moved myself into a lead position and a trainer's position. So they gave me some wonderful training in those early days with the company, um, learning how to do things the Disney way, if you will. And I learned very, very quickly why uh, Walt Disney World is, and, and the Disney company is very well respected for the way they do business. Um, uh, the, the training was amazing. And it gave me a chance to meet a lot of great people and, and it was, it was fun, you know, it, it, it actually, you know, it was a fun job. Um, you know, I always kind of had my eye on the prize at the end, which was not necessarily to get into Imagineering. To me, that was still like, you know, a hill I, I, I didn't think I'd ever be able to, to climb. Um, but just to, you know, get back into, um, what my background was in communications or marketing or somewhere in that world. So, yeah. Did you have any particular area that you were hoping to eventually end up in? Well, um, you know, I, I mean, I mean, certainly Imagineering was always something in the back of my mind, but you know, it's like the kid that wishes to be an astronaut, you know, or, something like that. You know, I mean, you, you hear about people who are in those roles and you think, well, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be able to achieve that. You know, <laughs> right. nice. Not because I didn't have the self-confidence, but, you know, I mean, I realized how, how tough it was to, to get in there and how competitive and, and all that stuff. So, you know, aside from that, there wasn't really a um, specific position I had in mind. Um, when I was, you know, working in these other roles, I will tell you, they were just so fun and so cool. And, you know, working as a production assistant at, at the studios at that time, the studios was still a very active production studio. And, you know, I got to work on some really cool TV shows, on some national shows. Um, back then, uh, I got to meet a lot of cool people working for Eyes and Ears as a uh, writer and a um video producer i was, was producing some 
corporate videos for the company. Um, I mean, I got to, you know, one of the stories I did, for example, was a story on the animation studio and the animators that, uh, when it was still an active animation studio. And again, back then, you know, they had just finished um, The Little Mermaid. They um, were rolling on into their next films. And, you know, the, the studio in Florida supported all of those classic Disney films. So to be able to go out there and kind of, you know, actually get to know and meet the animators, um, which ironically, several years later, it, once I got into Imagineering, I, you know, got to go back and work with them in a different way. Um, but it was just a very, very cool experience. There's so many pockets of cool places to work and things to do out there. You know, people think of Imagineering as being like the pinnacle and like, you know, like the job. But I got to tell you, there's so many cool uh, places to work out there and so many talented people in, in other areas. Um, you know, if you're passionate about what you do, you're going to have fun and you're going to enjoy it. Yeah, that's true. That's a really important piece of that, I think. Uh, and we had talked a little bit before, and we were kind of trying to arrange this, about uh, you writing for Eyes and Ears and uh, doing those yeah. those kinds of things. Uh, and I want to actually jump into a little bit more of that, because you know, like you said, when people sure. think of cool Disney jobs, Imagineer is always high on the list. Pretty much anybody who yeah. knows what, imagine, what an Imagineer is usually says something about, wow, I would really like to do that. Uh, regardless yeah. of what their particular talents or specializations are, they just, that would be a great thing to do. Um, but right. you did some pretty cool things at Disney yeah. leading up to your work in Imagineering. And your writing for Eyes and Ears is one of those. Uh, right. You had mentioned just kind of in passing just there about working as a production assistant at the studios. What kind right. of things did you work on? What was really interesting and engaging about that? A lot of times Disney would have these big press events you know one thing that Disney's wonderful about doing is like leveraging their their parks and their experiences and promoting them and one of the ways they would do that is whenever there was a new attraction opening up for example they would uh have this big press event where they would invite people you know news stations in from all over the world um and they would send news teams in and they would do live either live remotes or they would take segments that would go on the air the kind of stuff you might see, for example, on like Good Morning America or, you know, shows like that, or even the local news when you see the guy standing in front of the castle doing his stand up, um, talking about what's going on at Disney, you know, the, those types of things. So oftentimes I would be assigned as a production assistant on those types of crews. And, you know, I worked with, um, actually, I've worked with a team that came in from Italy um, that was actually uh, did the Mickey Mouse show. Uh, the Mickey Mouse Club in uh, Italy, the Italian version. <laughs> um, I worked with uh, some news guys that came in from New York in a big morning show um, from up there. Um, I did uh, live with, uh, back then it was Regis and Kathy Lee <laughs> um, and got to meet them. Kathy Lee was one of the sweetest uh, people I ever got to, to work with and meet. Um, just all kinds of really cool stuff. I also worked some of the grand, the, the grand openings, not as a production assistant, but just on the marketing side. So I would get um, farmed out, if you will, to the marketing department and work, um, you know, help uh, with, with the grand openings of some of these things. So I worked the grand opening of Star Tours and the grand opening of Typhoon Lagoon and 
I actually did the grand opening of the great of uh, the studios, and um, that was really kind of a a mind bender for me years later because you know a couple years earlier I was working the grand opening, you know, as, as uh, uh, low level marketing you know assistant, and and you know a couple years later I was helping to rewrite the script <laughs> and, and, you know, work on the blocking and staging inside the great movie ride. So it was, it was very, very cool. Wow. Do you have any particular memories, anything that stands out from any of those grand openings? That seems like, especially for the studios overall, but really for even any of those individual attractions, that seems yeah. like something that'd be really profound. Yeah, they were really fun. I remember, you know, I remember, um, I was, had been asked to help with the grand opening of the Wonders of Life uh, Pavilion in Epcot. For all you guys who remember that, you know, it's one of, to this day, I think one, one of the best attractions um, and pavilions out there. And, you know, it was really interesting. That was probably one of the first um, of those types of jobs that I had. And at that time, I had already been working at the Contemporary Now probably for several months. and. I was starting to network my way around the company and I was starting to think about, well, is there a way I could get into Imagineering? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I didn't dare to dream too much back then, but you know, it had crossed my mind. So I remember working the wonders of life, um, grand opening. And I remember seeing all of, you know, the Imagineers who created that attraction were just having the best time of their lives, um, you know, celebrating, you know, what they had accomplished. And, um, you know, that really kind of sticks out. And, and I think that was one of the moments where it really kind of like, job for me, you know, I really need to go for this. If, if I'm going to try and, you know, do this and I want to be one of those guys, um, now's my time. So, um, you know, that particular grand opening is one that kind of sticks in my mind. Um, another one that I'll tell you about real quick was um, every year they used to have these things called the Goofy Games. And the Goofy Games was um, in a, a large event where, again, they would invite news stations in from all over the country, actually all over the world. And they would put together a little team. So usually it was like two or three news anchors, and then they would always bring a celebrity and all the news stations would try and get the best celebrity they could to try and outdo the other news stations. And, you know, we got this person, that person, and then it would be like three days worth of just these goofy competitions, you know, beanbag races or whatever it may be. And it, it was just a lot of fun, but it was a brilliant way for Disney to get news coverage. And it was a lot of fun for the people that participated. And I remember one of those uh, where I worked, um, I got to meet, you know, again, we're going back to some like 80s or 90s uh, celebrities here. So, um, but Michael Ruzioni, who was the captain from the Miracle on Ice team, if you remember uh, from, from the Olympics way back then, there was this English uh, ski jumper, Eddie the Eagle Edwards, who they actually made a movie about years later. Um, but he was quite a character and I got to meet him. Um, Tall Jones from the Dallas Cowboys, you know. Um, so, so, so that was just a lot of fun. That sounds like a really cool event. I don't think I'd heard about that before. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, one of the people that I met, which kind of sticks out in my mind too, was the first time I ever met someone from Russia. 
um, because again, this is back in the '90s, so this was not long after Reagan had, you know, tear down that wall, Mr. Gorbachev, right? Right. And before the Soviet Union collapsed, and you know, back then it was very rare for Americans to meet Russians unless you went to Russia. You know, you have, but you know, certainly to meet one over here in the states was was still kind of an unusual thing. And one of the uh, the, the news crews from Russia brought a um, cosmonaut with them as, as their celebrity. And this uh, poor cosmonaut had recently set the record for the longest time spent in space at the time he was on the Mir space station. But it wasn't by his choice. It was because um, that was around the time that the Soviet Union was starting to crumble. And every time he was scheduled to come back to Earth, there was some kind of dissent or something going on in the country and they had to like postpone bringing him home. So the poor guy was like stuck up there for, you know, months on end uh, before he could finally get back to earth. But he was, he, he was a lot of fun to meet, spoke English very well. And, and I remember, remember him quite well. Sounds like he needed a trip to Walt Disney world after all yeah, of that. He need, yeah. He didn't need a trip to Walt Disney world for sure. <laughs> Makes me wonder if he went on Space Mountain and was scared if it would break down. He'd be stuck on there for like, you know, wouldn't that be ironic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> so are there any other uh, memories of any of those attraction or uh, even the theme park grand openings that really stand out to you as something that was either really memorable because it was pretty, you know, extra fun or something that in hindsight was uh, significant? to you something that really kind of changed the course of your life besides the things that you uh, already just shared with yeah, me. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, honestly, you know, just in general, I have very, very fond memories of those days, you know, before I, I was able to, to break into Imagineering. It was just a lot of fun, you know? I mean, gosh, I mean, I got to work with some amazing people and, and, you know, do things that people on the outside look in and go, wow, that'd be really cool to do. And, and I was getting to do it. And, you know, I know my, my older brother was very, very jealous of me. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I, I think I mentioned most of the stuff that really stuck out. I could, you know, if, if we had a longer time, I could probably talk, you know, for, for a long time about some of the other experiences I had, but it was, it was a blast. And, uh, I enjoyed it very much. Good. Okay. Maybe we'll come back another time and do that. Uh, and yeah. as you were talking about some of that early on there, and you had said you were still working front desk at the contemporary, but you were already starting to network your way around the company. Yeah. Uh, how did yeah. you do that as a front desk contemporary cast? Right. So, so this is how it started. You know, I think there are a lot of people and I'll preface this by saying, you know, there are a lot of people that go to work for Disney um, that have dreams and aspirations, especially young, you know, at the time I was a young 20 something year old kid, you know, so, um, now I'm an older 20 something year old kid, but, um, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of people, a lot of people who go to work, uh, for the company that, you know, want to do the same sort of thing. And, you know, you really need to kind of take it upon yourself, you know, to kind of make those opportunities happen. They're not just going to be handed to you. And, you know, Disney's not the kind of company where they say, oh, you know, you're um, working at the front desk, but you want to be in marketing. So here's a marketing job. I mean, you know, it's kind of a two-way street. You know, you, you got to, to an extent, make it happen yourself and, and 
know when those doors are opening and, and how to get through them. Um, so that being said, for me, the way that first door opened, uh, I was out at the studios before it had opened up and they were doing a, uh, like a soft opening, uh, like not even a soft opening, but test rides on the great movie ride. And they invited cast members to go out and ride the attraction. And, um, you know, that's the time when the Imagineers are kind of working out the last kinks and bugs and everything. So I went out there and I was standing in line to get on the attraction and I started chatting to the guy next to me. And, you know, by some sort of fate or luck or, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, he happened to be a production assistant at the studio as a full-time production. There were like three or four full-time production assistants and he was one of them. So, you know, we hit it off and we were chatting and everything. And he learned about my background as as a producer. And he said, well, you know, maybe I can bring you out here on a couple, you know, little jobs to kind of help me out. And, uh, and and that's what he did. You know, shortly after that, he called me to, to come out and, work as a production assistant. And once I did that first job, and I guess they realized it wasn't going to break anything, um, they called me back a few more times. And um, that's really kind of how it started for me, you know, being in the right place at the right time and, and uh, you know, counting my blessings, if you will, you know, that, that, you know, of all the people out there, this was the guy I was standing next to. So go figure. Right. Yeah. Now, as as you had started working at Disney, I don't know at what point in the process this might have, have come, but working for Disney was a pretty big deal, of course. So when was the first time you remember thinking, or is there a time you remember thinking, I'm doing something really special? You know, honestly, it kind of started when I got hired. <laughs> I, I mean, it sounds so cliche. You know, again, back then, this was before they had the big casting building and everything else. So, you know, for me, I if, when you wanted a job with Disney, you would drive down this back road and they had these trailers set up kind of behind the Magic Kingdom. Um, there's mm-hmm. there's an area back there called Central Shops uh, where they do like a lot of um, manufacturing and refurbishing of attractions and rides and stuff like that. And behind Central Shops, there was a series of like three or four trailers and you would just go into these little trailers and do your application. And then, you know, if you got hired, you would go to the next trailer and they would give you your ID. And then the next one, you get your name badge. And, you know, it's, it was a much uh, simpler, I guess, process back then than I think it is now. But, you know, I remember just going through that whole hiring process. And when I was finally hired, even though I was not offered that, you know, million dollar job. They they were offering me a position at the Contemporary. I was remember thinking, you know, working, having the chance to work for a company like Disney was going to be a good thing. I mean, I, I was, you know, old enough and, and had been in, you know, out of college at that point and starting my career. And I knew the importance of, of what it would be like working for a company like Disney. Um, and being able to get that training and, and experience. Um, and then, you know, shortly after you're hired, you go into uh, this class called Traditions, which is uh, basically their employee orientation. And that's when you learn about the history of the company and, and the legacy of, of Walt and, and all of that stuff. And 
I think that was probably when it kind of hit me, you know, is you're sitting through that um, and you're looking around and, you know, when, when they do traditions, they just mix and match whoever is being hired in that given time. So you're sitting in the same room. I, you know, I was a front desk person, but there were cooks and there were custodians, but there were also salaried people, you know, accountants and, you know, whatever they may be. You know, I, I mean, it didn't really make any difference at that point. You know, you're all just kind of part of the Disney family and Disney cast. And um, I, I think that's when I kind of remember kind of very first feeling that pixie dust, if you, if you will. And it just kind of, you know, sustained me. Um, certainly when I got hard into Imagineering, which is a whole story unto itself, and I got that WDI name tag, that was a uh, incredibly special moment, needless to say. Yeah, I'm sure it was. How did that come about, getting hired into Imagineering? Probably paying a lot of money to the right people. <laughs> um, you know, again, I think it was being in the right place at the right time and being able to, to kind of um, capitalize on, on the circumstances. So I had, by then, I had been doing all these other cool things in the company and cast communications and you know, production assistant and working in the marketing department for the grand opening. So, so I've been starting to network and been starting to get a little bit of visibility within the organization. So I went to my HR uh, person and I said, listen, uh, is there any chance I might be able to uh, maybe get into Imagineering? <laughs> and she kind of looked at me and she was like, well, you and like everyone else out here. <laughs> but, but, she was, uh, you know, very, very, very nice. And, you know, typically, you know, people at Disney will do what they can to kind of help you um, further your career. So she gave me the name of the creative director. Uh, back then, WDI only had a uh, project trailer. I, I don't think they even have a permanent presence in Orlando at that point. Um, any Imagineers that were here were kind of pro in, in project trailers working on different projects and certainly the Disney MGM Studios was a humongous project so they had a very big trailer for that one so they said you know why don't you go out talk you know talk to this guy see what he said so I went out and spoke to him the guys uh his name was Mike he was uh the creative director one of the creative directors anyway for, for the Florida project for the studios and um he uh said well you know, you've got some good experience here, you know, writing and all that. I said, I'll tell you what, we've been having some issues with the animation tour, the animation studio tour. He said, why don't you take the script and, you know, see if you can freshen it up, see what you can do with it, bring it back and, and we'll take it from there. So that's what I did. And uh, the very first thing I wrote as an Imagineer, um, although I didn't know it at the time, was the tour for the animation building. And I guess he liked it. They implemented you know, some, some of what I wrote. And, um, at that point he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll bring you over for three months. So I can't promise you any longer than that. And said, after three months, you're probably going to have to go back to the contemporary, but you know, at least it'll be some experience for you. Do you want it? And it's like, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he Do you really have to ask? <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, where do I sign? So his, you know, we were getting close to the end of my first three months. He 
said, well, I'll try and extend you and see if I can get you for another three months. I can't promise you anything, but maybe, you know, we can do. So he extended me again. And that happened like three or four times. And I always like to um, make the analogy, if you've ever seen the movie, The Princess Bride. That's exactly um, what I was just thinking. Right. It's like, I'll kill you tomorrow, Wesley. And, uh, you know, the Dred Scott pirate or Dred Pirate, he, he never killed him. You know, yeah, it's like, I'll kill pirate you Roberts. And, right, Dred Pirate Roberts. And, and eventually, um, you know, he becomes the Dred Pirate Roberts. And, and that's kind of what I felt like. It's like, you know, I'll renew you, maybe. I'll renew you, maybe. And eventually, um, they didn't renew me. They actually offered me a full-time position. So. It was a piece of cake. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's great. Now, here's something that I've always wanted to ask an Imagineer. What are Imagineering's headquarters uh, like at Glendale? Oh, and what did you get yeah. to see out there? Yeah. Um, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, from the outside, they're very nondescript. From the outside, they look just like, it looks like a warehouse complex, basically. And obviously that's done on purpose. Um, they, they don't want people, you know, kind of snooping around and all of that. Um, a lot of the, the buildings are secure. Um, pretty much all the buildings are secure. So, but once you get inside, God, that really is, uh, where the magic takes place. If, if, uh, if you will, I mean, when, when I was, uh, out there, um, if they were creating Euro Disneyland, and that was a really amazing time because I would, you know, you walk through the Imagineering headquarters and I went into one room and there are people who are hand painting uh, the stretch paintings for Phantom Manor like they have in Disney World or Disneyland, you know, the, the stretch paintings. Mm -hmm. um, so, so they're hand painting those. Another room, they're programming an audio electronic pirate or Pirates of the Caribbean out there. Um, they took me into one room and they said, we want to show you something kind of cool. So we go into this other warehouse and it was all dark and there was a big curtain like draped around and we go inside that curtain and there was a full scale mock-up of a new dark ride that they were creating, not for Euro Disneyland, but for the Disney MGM studios, Paris. And it was a scene, the kiss the girl scene from Voyage of the Little Mermaid. And this was, now think about that. This is back in like the early 1990s. And they had this full-scale mock-up from that attraction. Now, that attraction didn't open up in Disney World. Um, now, now it's in Disney World. But that didn't open up in Disney World for like maybe 25 years after that, 20 years after that. So it, you know, they had this wonderful attraction completely designed. They were actually in the midst of designing for the whole Disney MGM Studios Paris. That whole project got mothballed for many, many, many years because for those who, who study Disney history, when Euro Disney first opened up, now Disneyland Paris, there were a lot of issues with it. And they had issues with um, attendance and, and just a lot of bugs that needed to be worked out. So that whole other second theme park that they were um, designing for just kind of got mothballed and put away for many, many years. And some of the attractions like that Little Mermaid attraction didn't see the light of day for another 20 years or so. But, it, you know, I, I always thought that was like really cool that I got to see it 
you know, way back then, you know, 20, 25 years later, here it comes back to life in the Magic Kingdom. And it was it was a full scale mock up under Black Line. I mean, the, the headquarters out there were very cool. I mean, probably one of I think my neatest memories was um, I remember when I got out there for the first time and I was checking in with the you know at the front desk with the receptionist, just kind of getting my bearings and getting ready for my morning appointments and all that. And in the lobby area, they had a display of some paintings and drawings. And I kept wanting to try and get over to see, you know, what are these paintings and drawings? I I was just so busy on that trip. I I never really had a chance. So finally, it was like my last day and I'm getting ready to head out and and leave and go to the airport. I'm like, you know, I'm going to just take a few minutes and walk over and check it out. And these were original sketches that Mark Davis had done. And it was a display of Mark's artwork his conceptual artwork from Pirates of the Caribbean and the Jungle Cruise and the Haunted Mansion. I mean, just really cool stuff. And um, as I went around the corner, I saw there's like someone else and his wife who were just kind of standing there checking it out too. And uh, he turns around and said, what do you think of these? And it was Mark Davis himself with his wife, Alice Davis. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was, uh, I mean, my, my, Tom was at ground. I mean, he, he was just messing with me, of course, you know. But well, yeah, they're okay. <laughs> so, so, but but he was he was incredibly cordial, and uh, his wife was, was very very sweet, and uh, that that's a very special memory for me. Um, meeting Mark Davis for the first time inside WDI's headquarters was was just you know uh, a very very special thing for me. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I think it would be for, for a lot of people. So the fact that you got to do that really is special. You know, after a while, I mean, it's just where you work, you know. I mean, certainly here in Florida, you know, the same kind of thing where I spent mm-hmm. most of my time. But I don't know if I ever took it for granted, but it was, you know, where I got to work and it was it was very, very cool. Sure. Yeah, I, I imagine at some point it has to become still special, but just your workplace. Otherwise you couldn't get anything done, but um, it you know, still holds that <laughs> special air. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, there was always certainly uh uniqueness about, about it. Um, and you know, the, I, I don't think there was a day I ever went into work where I wasn't, you know, just having fun. You know, there's the old saying, if, if you love your job, you're never going to work a day in your life. And, you know, the time I was out at Disney, I don't think I ever worked a day in my life. Um, it was it was pretty special. I got to meet some some pretty cool people and do some very cool things uh, here in Florida, too. And, you know, every, there are little bits and pieces of me still kind of lingering out there. And, and I'll bring my kids out. And now my kids are grown. You know, they're older teenagers and off, off to college and all that. But, you know, I say, you know, I, I worked on that or I did that. And they'll be like, yeah, right, Dad. <laughs> and uh, then I'll show him a script or something, and uh, you know, wow, you really did! Like, yeah, <laughs> so, so so that's kind of kind of fun, and, and you know, I guess it gives them a little something to kind of tell their friends. But now, obviously, you didn't just walk into Imagineering completely unprepared, or just working at the contemporary and deciding, "Hey, I want to write for Imagineering. I want to, I want to do this." You actually had done some work ahead of time and had some training and things like that. So, 
Oh, yeah. you know, how did you apply what you learned in school to being an Imagineer? Right. That, that's a great question. <clears throat> um, I just did another podcast interview not too long ago with a couple guys who are actually, uh, they're school teachers, and their whole podcast is focused towards educators. And uh, I've had a couple conversations um, of that nature of how Imagineering relates to education and how my education prepared me to be an Imagineer. Um, so I always, and, and with my, my background in education myself, um, I always love to kind of talk on that subject. Um, Steve Jobs was famous for saying, you can never connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking backwards. And that's very, very true when it comes to, you know, when you're a kid in school and you're taking courses and maybe you hate history or maybe you hate math, you know, they're not your favorite subjects. And you're like, why am I doing this? Why is it, you know, how's this going to relate to me? Well, you know, who would have ever thought that like a history class um, in high school would have helped me out as an Imagineer? But guess what? You know, when I was writing, you know, scripts and spiels for the World Showcase, for example, or for maybe an attraction in Frontierland or, or Liberty Square, guess what? You needed to know your history and kind of tap into that. And, and there were times where sometimes they would stretch me a little bit and I wouldn't necessarily be working as a writer, but sometimes I would help, say, like the show set designers who are the people that do like the theming and the decorating of, of the attractions. And, you know, so for stuff like that, you have to like know how to read blueprints and technical manuals. Um, you have to understand color theory, you know, so you never really know where you're going to um, kind of draw your inspiration from and, and cross-pollinate from. As a writer, I always, you know, I, I never limited myself to like one specific kind of writing. I love to write anything. So I could write, you know, scripts and spiels, but I could write poetry and I could write the technical stuff and I could write haiku and I could write taglines and slogans and I could write dramatic kind of stuff. And, and I think, you know, no matter what your field is in Imagineering, I think that's what they look for, are people who not only excel at what they do, but are very broad in their knowledge, too. You know, they have a deep knowledge of, of what they do. So, you know, the, the show set designers, like I said, a lot of them maybe come from theater backgrounds. And, you know, they, they do understand how lighting and color and sound and all that stuff interacts to create a themed environment. You know, how the show writers um, understand that, you know, one style of scripting may be appropriate over another style. And, and you need to be able to certainly keep the intent of, of the original designers uh, of the attraction. Um, when I was you know, plusing the great movie ride, for example, and, and tweaking the script, you know, I'm not going to sit there and say I wrote the script for the great movie ride, but, you know, there were very talented people who, who wrote those, you know, the, the, the base script before me, but being able to understand what the story was that they were trying to convey as you go through that attraction, and then to be able to, like, honor that by writing to the same style and keep the show intent the way it was designed to be is important. So, you know, I, I, I think 
to me, the best Imagineers, you know, they, they all seem to be like students of the world, <laughs> um, Renaissance men and women, you know, people who really had a lot of very interesting interests within their field and outside of their field. I wouldn't have thought about some of those subjects that you mentioned as being something that would be relevant. But now that you mention it, I can certainly see how they would be and uh, how having that broad range of interests and also a broad range of skills is extremely helpful in yeah. to do some of these things. Because like you said, you know, what, if you are, are working on these things individually, it's always a team. And the more you can bring to the team, right. the more you can add your voice or, you know, add your participation to the team without it becoming all about you, the better and more effective you're going to be. I'll tell you one class that I thought I would have enjoyed in college and I just hated because it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I think we, you know, a lot of us have taken courses like that in high school or college or whatever. But there was like a That brings us to the end of this week's show. A very special thank you to Brian Collins for being my guest and to you for listening. Come back next time for part two where we'll have advice from Brian, more great stories, and beyond. If you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, you've written a book, created a website, you're blogging, writing or performing music, art, whatever it may be, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who have worked for Disney. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience and had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or you've had any special Disney experience you want to share, or give a compliment or a thank you for anything Disney has done, I would love to hear from you, too. For any of these, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in Apple Podcasts, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, Stitcher Smart Radio, or through Google Play Music. If you like the show, please rate and review it in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. It really helps. Thank you again to the ten of you who did so since the last episode. If you haven't, now is a great time. Thanks to these new reviews, the show has some momentum and visibility in iTunes, and by taking just a couple of minutes of your time to leave your own review, you can be a crucial part of helping that continue. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode, too. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com storiesofthemagic, Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening, pin it on Pinterest, basically tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories. And this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com. 
Rockauto.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.